What's going on, Sky Town? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K, and with me on the mic back from Los Angeles is Chris Pennant. Chris, you got a fresh cut. You got, I mean, your glasses look great as always. I know you get compliments on them all the time, but how you doing, man? It's great to see you. Good. Good. It's good to be back on the show. I know you held it down. Um, first of all, I want to I want to um, congratulate you on putting that podcast episode out there, making note of the fact that Courtney Vandersloot was not mentioned in the local papers. That was necessary. That was good. And it was much appreciated for me. But I'm all right, man. I'm in this new place here. You can see we've got these gorgeous white walls. Uh, <laughs> things, things are good. Things are doing well. So glad to hear that. And also at the top of this, just thank you to everyone who sent emails to us after that podcast. We try not to just talk about basketball on here when the WNBA is so much more than the product on the court. And yeah, just really appreciated all that you said because it doesn't go unnoticed. So thank you so much for all of that. But Chris, we got to talk about the last three games with the sky. I mean, they went two and one over the last three games. They blew out Washington for most of that game before garbage time kind of creeped in and impacted the final score. But the two days later, they hosted Connecticut and they were up by 17 and it felt like, oh my God, like they might actually drop this game. But Emma Mieseman hit a clutch three in the corner off just a beautiful read by Candace Parker, who saw the help coming and just quickly did like kind of like a touch pass to Emma in the corner for such a clutch three. And honestly, that Dewana Bonner three at the end where she got kind of an open look, she set up as time was expiring and like heaved up a shot. It's like a 31 foot three point shot and just missed it. But this guy went two and no in that span before they dropped a game to the storm yesterday. It was 111, 100. And the storm probably had their best offensive game of the season yesterday. So Let's talk about Seattle because that's fresher in people's minds. And I think there's more to take away from that game than there is the other two games just because Elena Deladon was out. And you know what? I'll give some – I don't. that's no shade towards Connecticut. They've played the sky well this season. But I do think the Seattle game is a little bit more interesting just given that Seattle is – they're 4-4 four and four in their last couple of games, but it feels like the offense has taken a little bit of a leap compared to where it was before. Chris, did you have any takeaways from that Seattle game? And yeah, let's just hear your thoughts about that at the top because I know it generated a lot of conversation. Uh, first thought was that it's it's so hard to stop a team that was as on as Seattle was. And they were still playing really good defense too, which I think speaks to the Sky's ability to out, their, their ability to succeed on the offensive end. They had 100 points, 97 if you take away that last second three uh, by Courtney Vandersloot, but they still had 90 plus points in a 40 minute game, no overtime. Seattle just had all of the weapons working. Gabby Williams had her second highest scoring output of the season. Uh, Tina Charles had a really good game for Seattle. Ezzy Magbagore scored 13 and she was minus 15 on the day, which means that this guy really creaked back in when she was on the floor. There's, there's not much to say. I think that there were some issues on defense. Once the storm were really hitting from all from all angles, they were, trying to, were kind of struggling to stem the tide when Brianna Stewart was on the floor. So you notice they were trying to double her on the ball. 
but Seattle spacing gave the sky a lot of problems as well as their ability to do what the sky do, which is break down the defense and get to the paint. So I think that's something to look out for just to take away from that game. My second takeaway, and I know this is controversial-ish, but I want to see more Dana Evans, man. I haven't been on the pod in a while. And I know that the, uh, the majority of fans are saying this too, but Dana's time, as we talked about a month or so ago, is largely being uh, taken up by Julie Allen. Now, granted, Julie's not playing 25 minutes a game. She's usually getting in there for 10 or 15 minute stretches at a time, but Dana's minutes have drastically been reduced. And when you have a game like that, where Seattle is shooting lights out and they're up by 20, you figure that you would, would get, if you're not emptying the bench in the third quarter necessarily, but you're getting some different looks to different players. And we know what Dana can do. So I would have liked to see her get some time in there to kind of be a microwave, see what she can do, when, especially when, when Epiphany Prince is out there. There's no reason for Dana Evans not to be on the floor, I think. Those are my two big takeaways from yesterday's game. I want to start with that second point because it's something that, like you said, a lot of people have been talking about, even with Ruthie, which I think we were going to save this towards the end of the pod with the listener submitted question, but we can even get into it now. The Sky are ramping up their minutes for the playoffs right now. They need to play more 30-minute games from their starters because that's what it's going to be like come playoff time. And now that they have the one and two seed locked up at least, and they have a chance to get the number one seed, getting that, I don't know, that endurance to play high-quality basketball for 30, 32 minutes a game, I think that's where this is coming from more than anything else. I don't think it's a slight to Dana necessarily, but even yesterday, I mean, Seattle has bigger guards. It's hard for someone like Dana to go up against Jewel Lloyd or Stephanie Talbot or Sue Bird even. I mean, Gabby Williams, I mean, Point Gabby was back last night, man. It was crazy to see how much she has improved and just her drive and kick instincts. My God, I mean, she just has improved since she, um, you know, since she left Chicago. But at the same time, I mean, you can't expect big games from her like that. I mean, it's not like she's having a great offensive season either. But I do think that when it comes to Dana and Ruthie, it's just because they're young and this team is just so deep right now. And when Courtney Vandersloot comes out and you just need, again, someone to run offense, I think that you really, I think it makes sense to turn to Julie Alamon in these cases just to keep the ship afloat. Because you're right, Dana is a fireball. She brings out, she raises your ceiling for a couple of minutes and can get you on a run by herself. But at the same time, I think it's more of a consistency thing where I think Dana is still improving her court vision a little bit and she's not necessarily like a quote unquote true point guard, whatever the hell that means anymore. But I think Julie Alamon is someone that kind of keeps the ship afloat and, but she hasn't shot the ball as well as she did in 2020. So I think I can understand people when they push back on the idea that Dana should be, or push back on the idea that Julie shouldn't be playing as much right now. And I think that's part of it too. Um, we can, we've seen what Julie can do in terms of ball handling and there's, a, there's definitely a difference. There's definitely a level there between Julie and Dana in terms of ball handling, uh, direction of the offense. There's still some times where I see Julie makes decisions or, or get in certain spots where the defense can make her passing difficult or just give her tougher angles to pass. 
And I think that's where I would like to see more even distribution of minutes, but it also has the uh, context of being up there with Ruthie, who fans have been clamoring to see more of pretty much since she came into the league. So I, I think that's part of it, where we're, we're all swayed by seeing what we know as a talented player on the bench most nights, and we're seeing that happen with Dana as well. But it's just, you know, I, I understand where, where you're trying to get your team ready for the playoffs, and I that was in my mind, even as I, I said what I said on Twitter, where the minutes distribution is, I said it was a bit troubling. But you are trying to get your starters ready for the playoffs. I think the issue still comes from the fact that they're shortening the time for their bench, which I guess is getting their best their bench more rest time. But that's still, the sky's depth is such a, a boon for them. And even Julie, who we're talking about, is playing limited minutes off the bench. It worries me to see them going more seven deep in these games that are closing out the season against Connecticut, against Seattle, and you know they've got Vegas tomorrow night. So you you have to keep you you use the beginning of the season to keep your starters fresh and then wind them up as it gets towards the playoffs. It's still a bit worrying. It, for some reason, it just it worries me because I think that their their depth isn't being utilized as thoroughly as it could be lately yeah i'm honestly i'm all for getting the starters ready for the playoffs that's what you play for and i think we'll probably see in that phoenix mercury game at the, the last game of the season on august 14th we're probably going to see dana ruthie and potentially lee get more minutes than they've seen over the last few games which would make sense give your starters some rest i mean it, the playoffs start three days after that i don't think an extra day of rest is going to make you look stagnant come playoff time. So I get where you're coming from and you don't want Dana and Ruthie to have cobwebs on them when the playoffs come and you potentially need them just to shake things up a bit. I mean, we've seen that so many times in playoff basketball that someone that becomes an unsung hero that you didn't necessarily expect going into that series or game or half. So I totally get where you're coming from. I just personally, I think gearing up for the playoffs is where this team needs to be right now. And a part of that is cleaning up some stuff. Seattle had 62 points in the paint yesterday. That yeah. is a lot to give up against. I mean, look, that's a tough team. You're talking about Brianna Stewart, Tina Charles, Ezie Magnagor. Like, th those are legitimate players. Like, Ezie was a defensive player of the year candidate and is now moved to the bench because of Tina Charles. Like, that is a luxury that a lot of teams don't have. And... I just think that the sky need to clear up that area as much as they can, because I actually still have questions about Seattle shooting more than other people do. And I say that knowing that they're like third and three point shooting right now, but <laughs> at the same time, I just don't love what their offense looks like without Brianna Stewart. And I think that they've, there are times where they just, they get super hot and that actually makes their numbers look better than they actually are. Like if you go through their game logs, they have a lot of clunkers and I'd rather have Gabby Williams beat me from beyond the arc than have her beat me inside or Brianna Stewart or Tina Charles. Like Tina Charles is a ball stopper and you know what she's going to do if she's one-on-one -on -one in the paint, she's going to put the ball up. And if you make life tougher for her and make everyone else on the outside make shots, I think that's just a more of a winning equation than again, like just, having, I don't know, it's, it's so tough. I, I, I struggle even to say it just because like, I know that 
these are all things that James Wade and the coaching staff are talking about right now. And it's not a simple fix of just snapping your fingers and everything's there. They talk a lot about effort and how James like, we didn't want that game yesterday essentially is what he said. And I just think that this guy need to figure that out more than anything else. Like the turnovers, that wasn't what lost in the game yesterday. It was just about like defensive energy being laid on certain rotations, like just making the wrong decisions when it comes to like help defense and leaving someone else wide open underneath the rim. There are still things that this guy need to clean up and they'll tell you that as well. And to me, that is more of a concern than this guy going eight deep right now and more like seven deep if you just look down like the minutes breakdown. There's a lot of good points to be made there. And and like I said, I thought that they it, it's hard to say you overhelp on Brianna Stewart knowing the type of player she is, but it's it's how are you doubling? Are you doubling in the way that's going to get the ball out of their hands or putting them in a position that's going to be tougher? Are you doubling at the top of the key where she has more room to see or doubling at the at the uh, the elbow of the arc where you can kind of trap on the sideline? And I mean, give Connecticut credit. They were without their normal coach. They had Pokey Chapman. Great to see Pokey back. Yeah. And, and they played a quality, a quality game really on both ends. I think the only time they really had a letdown was when the bench came in and this guy were able to cut a 20-point lead down to eight pretty quickly, I think. They, they were able to cut that lead down. And that was with Julie and, and Z and Rebecca Gardner on the floor. So I, I, I'm not going to dis, I can't completely disagree with your assessment because I know how that goes too. You're, you're trying to get, you're trying to get ready for the playoffs and it's going to be a tough fight in the playoffs. The sky have been the best team in the league pretty much since the middle of May or sorry, the middle of June, I would say, but the teams behind them aren't necessarily that far behind. And that includes Seattle. That includes Las Vegas, uh, you know, Connecticut, Washington, and whichever order that you want to place them in. So it's it's difficult for the coaching staff right now to uh, – they have a lot of things to go over. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, and it's okay to have some questions right now because I think that the other teams in the league also have a ton of questions. I mean, the, 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 this was a listener-submitted question, so let's just dive into it, honestly. Actually, before we move on, we got to talk about Candace Parker's baseline pump fake that oh. Stephanie Talbot is still do, doing circles around right now, trying to figure out where the ball went. Oh my God. That was one of my favorite plays of the season, man. Like it, it caught me off guard. This is one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up when she did the pump fake. I, my head turned a little bit before I realized like, this is, uh, <laughs> this is what CP has been doing all year. And Stephanie Talbot, I mean, I would have evaporated on the spot if I was her after not just that, but also Skylar Diggins-Smith this season broke her ankles, and all we saw yeah. for, like, a couple of days was just that play. Skylar Diggins-Smith, like, destroying Stephanie Talbot on that play. So she's had two of these this year where it's like, man, RIP Stephanie Talbot, wherever you are right now. I just oh. hope, <laughs> hope you're doing hey. okay, Steph. I don't know what you did hey, to if... CP and Sky Diggs, but it couldn't have been anything nice. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> As a part of life, the best shot blockers get dunked on and it's shown for decades. The best defenders get their get their ankles crossed up and, and everybody talks about it. And people will be talking about this for a while. 
But let me, <laughs> what I learned a long time ago playing basketball in whatever level, if you get crossed, you know, find the ball, stay with the play, but be okay just turning around and leaking out on the other end, hope they miss the shot, and then you've got a free layup on the other side. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, when people make fun of people that like, getting dunked on for just de- trying to defend a ball at the rim. I'm like, you don't know basketball. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about some of these listeners submitted questions because one of them came from. Listener questions. Yeah, I know, man. It's oh, love it when people do that, but someone asked about who like the best and worst case scenarios for the sky come playoff time. And I do think that that's probably a conversation that you and I can have better when we have done the standings are kind of finalized, maybe a couple days from now. But I did have a slight change of the prompt if you're open to it. Sure, let's do it. So how about in the top five of teams right now, who is the biggest threat to the sky? Because I think that's a slight deviation from it and but is kind of still in that same theme of what this person was asking for. Is that something you'd be down to do? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good question. Uh, I can just lean in. Uh, Las Vegas is still the, the, the toughest team for the sky. The mystics are always good and they, they get, they're elevated to great when Elena's in yeah. and they played the sky tough when I think uh, when Elena was out. So you can't count them out, but Elena not being at 100% makes their road tricky. And the Sky can contend with them as long as Ariel Atkins doesn't get super hot. So I think Las Vegas, followed by Seattle, is the toughest team for, for the Sky to, to contend with in, in the top seed. So it, you, know, you hope Las Vegas stays in number two or number three, so the sky won't see them in the, what would conceivably be the second round because, I mean, we saw what they did in the Commissioner's Cup game. It's an outside of the regular season game. And even in the game where the sky came back, they were down so much so fast. And that's what Las Vegas can do. And even with the, even with the short bench, they've been doing that all season long. So that's, that's a team that I really wouldn't want to see. I know other people for other reasons have other names, but Las Vegas is still the, the team that I, would, that I would count on seeing for a, an absolute dogfight in the playoffs. So I think one thing that has to factor into this is Derrica Hamby's status because she got injured last night. That's and true. If her knee is as bad as it looked on that replay, I mean – Ooh, I don't think the Aces can really afford to lose any more depth in their bench right now. And she did move from the starting lineup to the bench, which I do think makes a ton of sense, just given one, Kia Stokes has played pretty well, and two, the bench needed needed something. I mean, Raquana Williams has just not been the same player that she was last year. And I know that she's been battling with some injuries and everything, but they need more than what they've gotten from her. And that's the reason why she's making the contract that she's making. And one of the reasons why I thought like she could potentially replace Allie Quigley if Allie Quigley were to retire back, like, you know, last off season. So I, they just need more from her. And Asia Wilson is the second best player in the WNBA. So I think you have to 
give her enough credit where she can just have another monster game where what she had 17 rebounds last against the sky the other like in the commissioner's cup i mean she had eight stocks i mean we're talking about an all-time great in this league already and you got to give her some credit and kelsey plum who's just when she gets going scoring from beyond the arc it's really tough to stop their offense i just have a couple of questions like can can you really go six deep and win a championship i don't know and Teresa plaisance has had a nice season as well but still I don't know if that's enough to win a championship, especially if Derica is no longer a part of the rotation. Like it looked bad yesterday. So I guess I'd push back on not push back by any means, but like that's where I just have questions about where the aces are at. And that's a good thank you. I, I apologize that I saw that last night and I, I forgot about it because that is really important when you lose a key player like Derica Happy, who can who's probably gonna log the most time outside of Kelsey Plum, with the starters, with the bench, who plays so well defensively, can just kind of hide out and get steals, great on rotations, and can, and offensive rebounding, God, offensive rebounding from DeAndre Handy. When you lose a player like that, or you potentially lose a player like that, it changes the whole complexion of your team. So that's a good point. I, without DeAndre, I think the Aces are still very good but they're going to run out of something at some point going into the playoffs with her at 70%. I think they'd have an outside chance to win the finals. Yeah. And it's not like the bottom three teams are all that extraordinary either. Like Dallas, I mean, they're still trying to figure things out and they've done pretty well after Arike Agumbawale hasn't played. Um, People are trying to make that correlation. I think that, is actually pretty spot on, especially going back to our all-star talk from a couple of weeks ago. But I don't think Dallas necessarily has the firepower to be, I don't know, to be a contender, I should say. I don't think the Atlanta Dream are going to contend because they're just too inconsistent, even though they're, they're going to be feisty. I'm really excited to see where they end up because Sky yeah. Dream first round matchup, I think that opens up a a lot of interesting possibilities, even though I do think this guy would be the beat up the dream in a three game series. But um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think the Mercury or anything special either. I mean, they're also not going to be with, they're going to be without Diana Taurasi, no matter how much people say that you like Diana Taurasi has kind of lost a little, lost it a little bit. I would still want Diana Taurasi on my team come playoff time. So when I just look at these five teams right now, Washington with Elena Deladon to me is the number one threat to the sky. And it's still an if, right? Like these rest days that Elena's getting are necessary. She's just going to be dealing with back injuries the rest of her life. I mean, she looks uncomfortable anytime she sits down on the bench, you know, like, so Washington, when she's on the floor has a 107.2 offensive rating, according to positive residual and off the floor, they have a 97.3 offensive rating, which when you have that 10, that 10 point dip right there. I mean, man, that is just pretty extravagant. And we saw it with the sky. They mean, they were just able to do anything they wanted to, to the mystics on the defensive end. Like they just took away so many opportunities. Ariel Atkins was kind of forced to play hero ball. And when Maisha Heinz Allen scores the way that she did, I don't think, and I mean, like if she's your, like your number one score in a game right now, just into her current version, 
that doesn't yield a lot of positive results moving forward just because she's had a down year and you they do really rely on other players in their rotation to get things going on offense. So I do think the Mystics, just because I just love teams that don't turn the ball over in big spots when it comes to the playoffs. I think the Mystics are one of the most disciplined teams in the WNBA. They give up the least amount of points in the paint per game out of everyone in the WNBA. And the Sky averaged the most points per game in the WNBA right now. It's not a perfect puzzle being like, well, this hap- like this is what this stat is, and this is what this stat is. That means that they're going to be able to cancel it out. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think they are disciplined enough offensively, and Natasha Cloud has had a really nice season, someone who has really been able to get everyone involved in that offense. Um, I think Shakira Austin has especially benefited from that. I do think that this team is good enough defensively to, to compete with the sky. And the other teams in the league don't really worry me as much as the Mystics at this point. But do you think that's too much of a statement right now? I mean, I know you said you were high on the Mystics, but just laying all that out, I know that there could be some holes in my case for that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's why I said what I said before. Being without Elena Deladon consistently is changes the shape of the Mystics completely. And you talked about Maisha Hans-Allen earlier this season and how Shakira Austin was getting the time over her and, and should, it's noticeable. Shakira has been absolutely fantastic. But not having her operating at the level she has in the past makes it tougher for them. That's why I don't think that they're, they're a scary team for sure when Elaine is on the floor because they have a lot of options at their disposal and because their defense still plays well. They still have Alicia Clark. Like, you know, this is a team that is quality and they, they're seven games above 500 for a reason but I don't think that they're as scary as a Seattle or a Las Vegas. Um, just because of the fact that you don't know if you're going to get Elena on a given day or how good she'll be, how much she'll be able to play, how much she'll be able to give you. Oh yeah. And by the way, I mean, Washington with Elena Deladon, Washington without Elena Deladon is not a contender. They do not have the offense to make up for someone of EDD's caliber and that their offense the complexion of it is so different without her in terms of the gravity that she possesses just in a multitude of ways that even just like her rolling to the rim or for when just shooting from beyond the arc, like Elena Deladon changes the way you're able to game plan on defense. So I'm, I'm totally with you with that. If, but if Elena is able to play throughout the entirety of the playoffs, and I do believe Jen Hatfield of the next said that Elena is ex- like, is expected to play every game in the playoffs. I don't, it's still a problem potentially like where you just don't know if something's going to happen and she's unable to go like that is still a possibility. So I'm with you on that. I still have questions about the storm. Like I, I know that I shouldn't after a game like yesterday and everything, but like without Stewie on the floor, their effective field goal percentage drops from 52.3% to 45.3%. Like that you can't have that dramatic of a drop-off and also just not con- like consistently be at like 34, 35% and expect to win. I just don't think they have the shooting personally. I just, I have a questions about it, but their defense is phenomenal. And Tina Charles has looked a little bit more comfortable in Seattle's offense than she did when the sky played the storm at Wintrust a few weeks ago or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact date because this season is blended together. 
but I do think that the storm they're they're I, I believe in them defensively. And when you have Brianna Stewart, that could be enough to win you a championship. And with all the questions that all these other teams have as well, but Jewel Lloyd is also someone that ha- has had a little bit of a down year offensively. You I mean, Sue is not the same person that she was even two, two years ago. And I don't know, like Gabby Williams is fantastic on the defensive end, but like she does have those games where she just isn't quite someone that you have to worry about. So I just have questions about the storm, but, um, and I think we guess we both agree that Connecticut's at the bottom of the list, even though they've played the sky pretty well so far. Like I, I not sure that Connecticut has the offensive firepower either to necessarily that like their offensive game doesn't really translate to the playoffs as much as you would like it to. And John Quill Jones just doesn't play that well against Chicago whenever they, the two match up. So but do you have any final thoughts on Connecticut before we go to our next? Yeah, man, it sucks that John Quill Jones isn't having an MVP caliber season. I don't know what's going on, if it's just the difficulty without having a true point guard or at least a more experienced true point guard on the roster. But her performance is just way down. And I love JJ. And I love the fact that she was the MVP last season and competing for it all year long. But you're right. Their, their offense is I think the most telling thing about Connecticut's offensive performance this year is that their Pythagorean wins and losses, like just how their record should be if you just took into account points scored and points allowed, they would be four games over what their record is now. And I think they're consistently, for the last couple of years, they've always had that lopsidedness where they're losing more games than they should And a good amount of that has to do with their offense on given nights. Just being able to close games out, man, they're they're one and three in close ball games, and they've lost two to the the last two that they lost to the sky. Pretty much came down to the final possessions, and you know that's what happened in the playoffs last season. And now they don't have those players, Jasmine Thomas or Brian January. So I, I didn't mention Connecticut for that reason. You know, they could come out and surprise everybody, but, you know, that famous hashtag can't really be thrown around much anymore when you're not coming through in the clutch. I agree. It's just a lot of Courtney Williams at the end of the game because they kind of look around at each other and it's like, okay, well, Courtney's the one that has the killer instinct on the team right now. And Dewana Bonner, I think she's had a nice season, but at the same time, I don't really trust her come playoff time. She's not a historically great three-point shooter or just shooter off the catch. So I just don't think the Sun are as much of a problem as the standings might indicate. But Chris, I just realized that we already answered the use, like the listener submitted question at the oh, top we of this too. All of them? We oh. did go through all of them, but we still have the Azra Stevens segment, which I'm excited to talk about with you because it was, <laughs> I have no idea where this is going to, where this is going to go. So I'll let you read off the Z tweet. All right, this is this is kind of a, a a different one. We got an extra element in this because we're bringing some spooky season back into things. Uh, this, this, <laughs> this, the storm were in town yesterday, and Gabby Williams and Azrae Stevens have that really close relationship. And Mark Schindler, friend of ours, tweeted two days ago that he was rewatching Attack on Titan from the start, 
And Z quote, quoted and said, literally was thinking about doing this the other day, knew you were a real one. And Gabby said, uh, replied and said, never been prouder of you. So for those of you who don't know, Attack on Titan, landmark anime about our man Aaron Yeager uh, in this uh, scout corps fighting against these gigantic, varying sized humanoid creatures in a kind of a medieval time frame. There is horses, there's flying, there is uh, these ri ridiculous lines and high, high wire actions. I haven't finished Attack on Titan, but I started it a couple years, I think 2018, and it's pretty gripping. But James, you said that you're not really an anime guy, but if you had to pick, I guess, a favorite animated show, what would it be? Oh my God, that is so hard. I mean, I love Big Mouth. I, I, I love Big Mouth because it's one of those few TV shows that I don't know why this is the case with me, but I'll laugh out loud with other people more than I will when I'm by myself watching a, a comedy of any sort and outside of stand-up comedy. But Big Mouth makes me laugh by myself more than like probably any other show. But at the same time, Rick and Morty's got to be up there. I was a late bloomer when it came to Rick and Morty. I hadn't seen it until the pandemic, and then I just blew right through it. And I think the writing of that show is freaking genius, but it's so hard. Even Archer, I do love Archer just because of the cynicism. Then that's all. I'm not a big animation person in general. Like, I think Family Guy's trash, South Park is trash. I think The Simpsons is pretty solid, but it's that was before my time when it was like in its heyday. So I just am not into that like animation as much. And yeah, I don't know. It, it is what it is, but I do think Rick and Morty is probably like the show I would pick for that. But how about you? I know you're more of an anime fan than I am. Oh yeah. And, and it's funny because I, uh, my, my favorite story about anime is that I didn't have cable and then some everybody in grade school was so about Dragon Ball Z because it was on Toonami. And, and this uh, my guy Tim invited me over to his house to get pizza after school and watch Goku go Super Saiyan. And I was like, yes, I finally get to see this, what everybody's been talking about. We went over there and this half hour episode, Goku had like one part of a fight and the rest of it was everybody discussing like, is he a Super Saiyan? And the, I should have known because the title of the episode was literally Goku Ellipsis Super Saiyan question mark. So I don't know really if I should have expected anything different. But from that day on, I was like, I'm not watching any more fucking Dragon Ball Z because I didn't understand that it was like 30 minutes of exposition and 30 seconds of fighting and then find out next time on. And so <laughs> I got into anime fairly late. <laughs> but Attack on Titan is fire. One Punch Man is great. One Punch Man is a hilarious show. But I think in terms of just uh, animation, also with some anime, I would go with The Boondocks, uh, not counting season four, because that did never end the Bruder in it. And they just kind of went in whatever ridiculous direction they felt like it. They but, made a Boondocks season without him? Yeah. And it was... When was that? Oh. I don't know what year that was. Because I've seen oh. like the, the first two seasons and he's always been in the credits. And I'm like, this guy is a genius writer. I just didn't know that there was, I know there was a third season. I didn't know there was a fourth season. I thought 
the, the show ended after the third season because it was too controversial. No, they were kind of going to um, they were they were kind of going to that. I think I think they were going to end it, but then they brought it back, and I think part of it was just that he didn't want to do another one, and then they're like, "Well, we're going to do it anyway." And I partially didn't watch it because he's on it, but some of the episodes, like Granddad, there's literally one called Granddad Dates a Kardashian. I was like, I don't, "Oh my I don't, god, I'm not watching that." There's no way to lampoon the Kardashians any more than they're already lampooned. So <laughs> I was like, "I'm not watching that." There's no, there's really no point for me. If you're listening to this, just watch the first episode of the Boondocks if you haven't already, because it has the best opening line to a series ever. I'm not going to say it, but Chris, you, I know you, you're laughing, so you know what I'm talking about. I was hooked. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it because <laughs> y'all should watch the Boondocks. Um, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of great commentary in it, but then there's also a lot of. Um, the episode, I, I love it, and I can't think of the name. I think just the fact that they have um, such great people on on soundtrack, that they, they did a lot of work with Fonte and Little Brother in the second and third seasons. Uh, Big Tank Thompson that, that would do this, the music for them. So they took a lot of good songs. There's a whole episode where they where guys try to kidnap Oprah that is based around the Mad Villainy album with Mad Lib and, and uh, MF Doom. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no way that you should not watch the first three seasons of The Bone Docs because you're gonna get so much out of it. I guarantee it. Oh my God, you make me wanna wa- rewatch that show. I haven't seen it in such a long time. So I gotta, I know it's on HBO Max now, but that's not a plug, but um, Chris, <laughs> Chris, um, we're past your lunchtime at this point. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap up the show? Hey, y'all, it's been a great season. We're, we're not done yet. There's a couple games to go, but uh, thank you for everybody always for listening to the show. We're going to be with y'all through the playoffs, however long the playoffs last. And if you're in Chicago, don't let that summertime shy slip by you. Get outside. As the kids say now, go touch grass from time to time. But thank you for everything and for listening to the show. (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. That's great. Go touch grass. Um, (laughs) I'm so out of it, man. I I didn't even know that was a thing. So that's, I feel old. You're you're older than me and I still feel like the older one right now (laughs) for not knowing, keeping in touch with everything. So um, but, but really, thank you all for listening to the show. If you want to reach out to us, you can always do so by emailing the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to contribute to the show financially, you can always do so by Venmoing us at the skyhook pod. And yeah, we, obviously, like all the people that have donated over the last couple of weeks we super appreciate it we, we are able to pay for we're not paying for this podcast out of pocket anymore so that really helped us out and i can't thank you enough for that but yeah i mean if you also just want to reach out to us outside of emailing us you can always check out us on social media you can dm us all of our social information is in the episode description and of course if you can help us out we understand you can't help us out financially right now we're heading towards a recession so if you can support us by rating and reviewing the show and subscribing to it wherever you get your podcasts 
it would help us out tremendously. But thank you for listening to the show. And until next time. <laughs>